Hi, I am Patrick Higgins, your I'm, co-host. And I'm Luke Thompson, uh, the co-host as well for Back to Birding. Yes. Um, I am a sophomore at UTC here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I am a um, senior at Baylor High School here in Chattanooga, Tennessee as well. And uh, shockingly, we are both birders. Yes, so. about the same age. I'm freshly 19. And I am freshly 18, so yeah. Yeah, so we uh, we met, let's see, last year now, I guess. I think it was this year, April. Yeah, whenever you presented for um, the Chattanooga TOS. Um, but yeah. And the TOS is the Tennessee Ornithological Society, by the way, yeah. for those wondering. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a mouthful <laughs> of a name. Yes. But yeah, we met, I guess, six months ago or something. Um, birded together a decent bit. Yeah, uh, yeah nice yeah. to have a, a young guy in the area. I've been birding here for, <laughs> right. since I was six, and everyone is about 50 or older. So <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel like that's a pretty common trend across... Um, the entire nation, maybe all of birding worldwide, but yeah, it, it's starting to expand to younger younger people. Yeah, you can recently. you can definitely see the change here. Um, in the past few years, a lot more people close to my age, and by that I mean within twenty years of my age, <laughs> so fifty. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but yeah, I am from Nashville, just outside of it, Hendersonville. Uh, was born and raised there. Went to high school there and decided to come to UTC for college. And I moved here in August of 2022 and started birding. Sweet. Yeah. What uh, what brought you to UTC? Um, that's that's a good question. I I had it narrowed down between Tennessee Tech and here. Um, two of my three siblings attended. Tennessee Tech, so I had pretty solid grounds there, um, good connections, uh, potential free housing. <laughs> but uh, that's always nice. I I didn't love their options for majors, um, but UTC is kind of world renowned for their environmental science program, which is what I am in right now. So that's eventually what. Uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, I guess, was the the major yeah. that, that moved me here. So, and I haven't regretted it at all. So, very excited. Sweet, yeah. And I've lived in the Chattanooga area essentially my whole life. I was actually born in New Mexico. Uh, lived in North Carolina for a I bit. Did not but, know that. <laughs> <laughs> but since I was uh, five, I've lived in Chattanooga, um, and I've been going to high school here. Uh, we're actually recording on my school's campus at on Baylor School. Um, that's along the Tennessee River. Um, we'll probably do an episode about it at some point because I've <laughs> at seen least one. A, a few a few birds here. <laughs> yeah. 213 species as of now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a pretty good place for birding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the best hotspots in the entire state, actually. I wouldn't say the entire state. I, I would say... I mean, outside of national wildlife refuges, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I have some uh, some pride. In, in I, I don't know. <laughs> I'd say it's one of the best hotspots in the county, but I mean, it it's, actually <laughs> is. <laughs> it's yeah. third. I think Chester Frost has uh, taken it. Yeah. This is that's a, a place above where the river's dammed. Yeah. Um, the Tennessee River is what we're talking about. And someone actually 
found a Western Meadowlark there yesterday, yeah. which is kind of insane. That's the first county record. Yeah, well, one of our new friends, uh, Tim Lenz, we will surely have him on sometime. Yeah. Um, For those of you who don't know, Tim Lenz was integral in the development of eBird, yeah. which... Uh, for the very small portion of you that don't know what eBird is, that is a citizen science program made by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology that essentially all birders use at this point to enter their data in, and then you can pull that data out to use it. And I actually do that with some research I'm doing with the, the school here. So, yeah. Yeah, do you want to hit on some of that research that you've been able to do here of maybe not just birds, but all kinds of stuff? Yeah, so um, I'm extremely lucky to go to the school, Baylor, um, which has a research program that is essentially a graduate level class dumbed down a little bit to the high school level. But the end goal in that class um, is over a three year period is to uh, publish research. And so back in God, what was it now? 2021, maybe uh, I had my first uh, I entered the research program. And since then, I've been able to do learn a bunch of things. And then right now, I actually have two research projects going on um, with conservation. So one is shorebird habitat restoration uh, on Baylor's campus. So there is a um, well, what was formerly a pretty good mudflat on the campus that has been taken over by vegetation um, due to uh, several factors. And what we're doing is we're removing some of that vegetation, hoping to uh, restore some of the mudflats so migratory shorebirds can use that. And for those who don't know, shorebirds require um, less than 25% vegetation cover on mudflats um, to have a usable stop stopover site. And they need those stopover sites to get in between their breeding and wintering ranges, which can be pretty far apart, like mm-hmm. uh, Alaska <laughs> to the uh, yeah. Tierra del Fuego far apart. So yeah. Uh, and then I'm also researching duck sex ratios. So um, I'm looking at the sex ratios of 28 species of ducks uh, in eastern North America. And I'm using eBird data to figure that stuff out. Um, nice. Primarily, we're also using some banding data. And so what we're doing is we're taking this massive data set and we're uh, standardizing it down using it's kind of a headache uh, a little bit. Citizen science data can be mm-hmm. uh, can be tough. But um, yeah, I'm so I'm doing that in R, which is a coding language. And then I've also been able to learn um, some lab techniques, uh, helping people out with their research. And yeah, um, I'm actually currently in the middle of the free space in my day. I'm presenting uh, a friend of mine uh, who graduated last year, did some research on the brook trout microbiome mm. um, and how sources uh, may affect the makeup of that microbiome. I'm not going to get into that because it's... <laughs> It's pretty abstract. It's pretty much in the weeds and hard to make interesting. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, me <laughs> to and, some, to some, to some, to most. Uh, <laughs> but me and one of my good friends are uh, presenting a poster on that um, at the Southeastern Fishes Council. And yeah, I just came from a bunch of talks there. And after this, I will be heading off to present that poster. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee is actually the home to one of the nation's uh, most popular aquariums, the Tennessee Aquarium, and uh, that is where that fish conference is being held. Yeah, and uh, that research was actually done in collaboration with the uh, Tennessee Aquarium Conservation Institute. So mm-hmm. we actually swabbed the brook trout from uh, that they were going to release into streams. Um, the Conservation Institute was actually here on Baylor's campus. So we swabbed those brook trout um, from the Con- Conservation Institute 
uh, well, I didn't swamp them. Someone else did, uh, and got the microbiome and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, the, all the sources. So that's dietary sources and tank water from uh, here on campus with uh, the Tennessee Aquarium Conservation Institute. So yeah. nice, nice. Uh, with that shorebird research, yeah, uh, what drew you to that? Uh, I realized that the shorebird habitat was just declining, and mm. they're all over the county there isn't much shorebird habitat yeah, going really. on especially during the key times of the year yeah so like right now we have places that have shorebird habitat but that shorebird habitat only showed up a couple of weeks ago right. and, uh, and now the only thing's moving through and good numbers through tennessee this time of year is probably done when yeah and maybe some lease and yellow dowagers but yellow legs i mean yeah um someone found a golden plover up there yeah, yesterday not as common (laughs) yeah i've actually fun fact uh managed to see nearly 550 species of birds in the aba area and i have not yet seen a golden plover um very interesting there's one in this county right now (laughs) (laughs) i don't got time for that it happens maybe maybe that can uh lead us to a point that we wanted to hit on about nemesis birds yeah yeah Uh, so would you consider a American golden plover to be one of your nemesis birds. In a way, maybe. I've just been so, like, I know they're easy to find, um, like, literally an hour from here. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like, I have the habitat here on Baylor's campus where I'm at, like, seven gotcha. days a week. So I'm, like, one day, one will show up here, and so. I'll see it. And I'm, like, just very, very lazy about my chasing <laughs> for a golden plover because, like, I don't, mean, I don't know, man. I don't want to yeah. drive an hour for a golden plover. Yeah, uh, especially if you are expecting one on campus here, and that might make it more special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that I have, like, seven months until I'm going to be gone, though, <laughs> I'm, like, <Right. laughs> I'm like... Well, I think that needs some explanation. Where are you going, Luke? Uh, Panama. Um, three days after I graduate, I'm going to lead a tour um, with the Terra Loca Foundation, which is nonprofit organization um one of my mentors is the executive director of that and that funds a girl's home in sikkim india um and so all the funds to this uh birding trip to panama uh we'll go to that and shout out to anyone listening we got a couple free spots uh hit me up if you're interested (laughs) we'll have uh some information about that in the description as well as my email um if you want to shoot me an email so yeah I'll be guiding there. Uh, I'll be in Panama for over a month, but I'll only be guiding for around a week. Um, and then I will likely be flying off to Peru. And then who knows where. Um, I will probably coming be coming back to Panama in the winter. Um, one of my best friends, she is going to have her scuba instructor by that point, and she's going to teach me how to dive for free. Um, and then um, we're going to dive somewhere in Panama. We're hatching a plan to go to like indonesia or fiji we'll see if that happens (laughs) she's also taking a gap year so yeah wow that is incredible so exciting Um, yeah absolutely looking forward to diving into those whenever (laughs) we've got this podcast going (laughs) about this time next year so yeah yeah really exciting uh i (laughs) had the fun experience of looking in his central american bird book uh, one time that I was in his car, and nearly every species had a post-it note over the name so that he could uh, <laughs> memorize 
all of these <laughs> nearly identical species. Yeah. The hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in preparation for the, this Panama trip. So yeah. very cool. Yeah. Well, back to that question that you asked me. Do you have any ne- nemesis birds? I know um, there's some. I know there's some. <laughs> there are less now than there were about six months ago. Um, <laughs> my my state and life list actually has uh, been very odd, <laughs> which Luke can attest to. <laughs> yeah, um, so one of the first times we went birding together, Patrick was like, I need yellow-throated vireo. Um, for reference, where we live, yellow-throated vireo is like one of the most common breeding birds um, and super easy in migration. But this dude had black-throated gray warbler in the state already which for reference that was the only living black-throated gray to ever be found in the state um so (laughs) very interesting uh yeah i had i've had quite a few great birds in the state um like even up to that point i had lark bunting i had (laughs) um western grebe i had all kinds of stuff which we can definitely get into at some point but did not have yellow thirty vireo and a few others like American Pipit, which is almost equally yeah, yeah um, that's easy. Uh, yeah, that's almost <laughs> worse given the places <laughs> you'd been. And Wilson Snipe? Yeah. That, <laughs> I had that one on life, but did not have that one in the state until about the last month. So Which is um by the way, that's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Black leg kitty wake beat it. Uh, <laughs> this guy had flamingos before Wilson's snipe in the state. Yes. So uh, yeah, to any birders listening, that you kind of see the irony in that. But uh, for an explanation, flamingos don't show up in Tennessee. These were in a cow pond. This is second record ever for the state. Uh, Wilson snipe, literally any <laughs> in any wet grassy patch across the state through the winter, and yep. somehow <laughs> um, never answered the nemesis bird question. I guess right now, white rump sandpiper has has evaded me a few times. It's not a very easy bird at all. Uh, yeah, that's state, fair, honestly. But upland sandpiper has has definitely been a hard one, and me and Luke have tried for that a few times. And you know, what? I, I don't think I have uppy for the state. Really? Yeah. I, d- I did take a trip to the uh, Mississippi River on the op- on the opposing side of the state, um, almost guaranteed to get one uh that time of year but did not so uh, you know Dude, i'm gonna see if i have uppy for the state i yeah. feel like there was actually an uppy five minutes from where we're sitting right now back in 2020 and i just didn't chase it for unknown reasons uh speaking of you not chasing stuff do you have limpkin in the state <laughs> i do have limpkin in the state actually okay. I don't have limpkin in the county. Mm. Um, I chased a limpkin three and a half hours across the state <laughs> um, back when limpkin was rare. Uh, for reference, this is a uh, species of bird that formerly in the ABA area, so that's U.S. and Canada, was only in Florida. Um, yep, very restricted range. And now it has exploded across yes. the entire... It's it's like an invasion. They're out to come and get us. Uh, they, they trickled in in very small numbers last winter, which is whenever, uh, about this time last year, we had one in the county. Um, and since then, there's probably been five or six in the county. <laughs> and there have been probably <laughs> 50 in the state. Um, and... There are literally, I think, 20-plus lumpkins at the Duck River unit Which in West Tennessee. In the Tennessee National Wildlife Refuge. So that's right now. <laughs> yeah. Very, very crazy. Um, and, like, 
the worst part about this is I have, there was a reliable Limpkin that I just didn't chase out of pure laziness. I was kind of in my like uh, low point of chasing and like birding in general mm. at that point. Uh, and I didn't chase it out of pure laziness. Um, and then uh, one was reported like literally across the river from my school. So I ran out, grabbed a kayak and kayaked around that area for God, I don't know, <laughs> four hours got insanely dehydrated and got zero limpkins. Mm. Uh, and then <laughs> this is the killer. Mm. Me and Patrick are out birding um, one day <laughs> and he is standing three feet to my left. We are scanning the same forest or like swampy th- forest thing, uh, flood forest. And he's like, Oh my God, a limpkin. <laughs> I am scanning like 10 feet to the right of him. Like, and the bird was never seen again by him. It was refound uh, later to verify my setting. Yep. <laughs> and then I uh, I went back out. I uh, got my legs all scratched up from mm. flooded my boots uh, and failed to find <laughs> oh, a lumpkin. Um, I'm holding out hope that before I graduate, uh, one will show up on campus. I'll be walking to school one day, and I'll just have one show up. You know out on the lake i've had i on my free period recently i did find a 12th state record uh crazy uh on the same walkway where i'm hoping and praying i'll see a limpkin so yeah, yeah that record was an ash fly flycatcher for those wondering it has now renamed that spot to the ash throated flycatcher spot so that's yeah fun. there's a very <laughs> noticeable red bridge there we called it the red bridge uh when until i tell two weeks ago until <laughs> two weeks week. ago so it was seen like right next to the red bridge and i just started calling it the ash throated flycatcher spot for fun i guess i i mean it it'll probably stick it might stick yeah but yeah that day that we saw the or i saw the limpkin it was a great day for waiters in general we had yeah let uh, me pull this list up yeah we had a white ibis as soon as we got out of the car um <laughs> uh a limpkin well Patrick got a limpkin. Least bittern, little blue heron, green heron, great egret, uh, great blue heron, and white ibis. Um, For reference, least bittern is pretty hard in our area, and little blue heron, um, pretty irregular. Um, And and pretty hard in the state. They're only in a a few local spots, typically. Little blues? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, outside of like a sort of period from July to August, you really are going to be hard pressed to find a little blue outside of a breeding area. But when Mm -hmm. that post breeding dispersal happens, you could be at a random pond, random place, Tennessee, and you're going to have a good chance of seeing a little blue. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they are very reliable in the summer months and, uh, Tennessee national wildlife refuge. And I guess most of West Tennessee. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not too common where I am from in Nashville. Uh, So that's, Always a fun bird to see down here. But yeah, I guess going way back to what I started talking about. <laughs> about like a, I don't know, a year ago. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in just outside of Nashville um, and started birding since I could first remember. My siblings and my parents tell me stories often about me um, going up to the, our back porch and asking what all the birds were at as soon as I could start talking. So, <laughs> um, who knows why I 
was drawn to them. I am inclined to think that it was divine, but um, I have never let go of it. It is absolutely birding has brought me where I am today. So I'm truly in love with it, but I did not know that there were other birders really at all. <laughs> I I did not know that it was such a big scene um, and did not really know anybody else closely at all in the state um, that was a birder um, until I got to college, honestly. Um, really? Yeah. So, what, what originally got you connected into the birding scene? Um, well, I got to school here, and very interestingly, um, I was writing a paper on um, passerine migration, and a old friend of mine, Chris Agee, we will have on the podcast at some point um, definitely has had a lot of experience with migrating birds throughout his many years birding and I wanted to interview him as a source for this paper I was writing um, and this is right at the beginning first week or two of my freshman year of college and he responds to my request with do you know my daughter? <laughs> and to that, I said no, but I would like to. So, um, and now a year over a year later, yes. uh, they're a year into a, over a year into a relationship. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> very, very great um, scenario. Very lucky. Um, but me and him met whenever I was 11 years old at Edgar Evans State Park. Um, I was looking at my lifer blue-winged warbler and he walked up to me and my father and kind of made some small talk and we kept in touch very loosely um ever since and now we are very close friends so That's amazing super cool but, um and i guess when you when you first reach out to him he sort of connected you with yes this so he is i guess by numbers the 15th best birder in tennessee so he just had a lot of great friends in the birding community across the state um, and he really kind of took me under his wing initially and just kind of shoved me in everybody's faces saying like hey here's this young birder that is really curious about um, stuff across the state and you know, he introduced me to some of my heroes, like the Stoles and <laughs> uh, Mike Todd and Mark Green, who all of them hopefully will be on the podcast at some point. So, um, very, very lucky to have met him and uh, for him to be the kind of person that really wanted to introduce me to all those other fun people. But, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'll talk about how I got into birding. Yeah. Back uh, when I was six, I was, uh, you know, wandering the library as a normal six-year-old does, uh, and I picked up a bird book called Birds of the World, um, and for whatever reason, took it home, started to draw the birds. Um, they mesmerized me for whatever reason, hmm. um, and then f uh, my parents bought me bird feeders, and then I would start to identify those birds. I would 
just pour over these bird guides um, and then try to figure out what was on those feeders. I actually learned to read on a bird guide. Um, <laughs> fun fact. Um, True origins of a birder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Sounds my, like a book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll make it a book one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, I was identifying the birds, and then my parents got me connected with the local bird co- club, so the Chattanooga chapter of the Tennessee Ornithological Society. Um, CTOS. Uh, much con- easier to say. Yeah, much easier to say. Chattanooga Bird Club should be the real name, but you know, you got to make it fancy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I got introduced to this kind of local legend, Kevin Calhoun, on this first uh, guided walk that I went on. Um, and then he was like, immediately, he was like, learn your bird songs, learn your calls. And then he also was like, go banding. And so that summer I went banding with um, two people who are now some of my great friends and uh, my mentors and also some people we hope to have on. Um, that list is ever growing. Lizzie and John Diener are their names. Um, and so they, yeah, they took me under their wing, uh, no pun intended. And yeah, they took me banding. They sort of showed me that and just were really... Um, they really built on my passion and, and helped me with that. And then I was just super lucky. My parents would always take me birding. And um, apparently every day I would be like, there's another rare bird I want to chase. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, I went banding with Lizzie and John. And then they sort of, like I said, they mentored me. It's kind of escalated ever since. Um, I've Lizzie and John took me to Arizona. They took me to California. Um, they took me to Texas. Um, and then they're, they... Uh, do seasonal work uh, as field technicians and I've volunteered with them out in Arizona before and yeah they've been just a huge gift to my life and just and just built me as a birder and like as a person and just helped me um, you know dive into this passion Um, and yeah now where I'm at now I uh, you know kind of kept obsessively birding got to Baylor back in sixth grade and yeah I uh, got into the research program and now I'm diving into some research stuff and I'm also um, yeah with the Panama stuff and then I'm also um, doing some guiding in Peru so I'm diving into some research and and some guiding stuff which is pretty exciting Um, really interested in some international in international birding at this moment in my life as well Mm. it's also branching out into other uh, into like herps and Yes. Fish, apparently. I yeah. think all birders eventually become herp heads. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, if you actually look at my phone, my uh, lock screen is a green salamander, and then my home screen is a timber rattlesnake. So <laughs> both seen on the same day, actually. Wow. Um, so, Patrick, tell me, why do you love birding so much? Um, there are likely too many reasons to actually fit into words, but... I really have grown to attribute it to my mental health. Um, I think my biggest realization of that was in spring of 22 when I was really at a low spot. And luckily, my sister, Emily, who I had uh, gotten into birding, at a young age, um, she went on a trip to the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas for 10 days with me. Um, and that 
it brought me out of my slump and it really kind of brought me back to my roots and showed me the importance of birding and in that aspect of my life and really since that point I I just haven't stopped making it a part of my my weekly basis in order to make all other attributes of my daily life uh, yeah he, <laughs> he literally has a uh, birding in his weekly like reminders and like <laughs> yeah. calendar yeah i do have it on my my schedule um, yeah monday wednesday and hopefully saturday mornings <laughs> <laughs> and if there's anything rare then i will skip meals if necessary or school yeah have, have you skipped school for birding i i have not actually really i wow cannot afford to <laughs> at this point in my life yeah that's um, fair. yeah i'm, my, I'm my, shocked you haven't skipped like one class for a bird yet there's potential i have actually yeah i knew it i knew it i knew it i knew it (laughs) it's one class um i skipped my my bio two recently to try for a red fowler rope that was an hour away um one person reported two of them the day after everyone did not see it so you know i can Uh, that report was uh likely untrue (laughs) i don't know who knows but I he Patrick frequently texts me. He'll be like, or like I'll call him about a rare bird, and he'll be like, I have way too much homework to, to chase that bird, or way too much to do. And then like thirty seconds later, he's like, I'm on I'm on the way to you. <laughs> yeah, like that is frequent, um, and maybe not healthy, but it's very uh, frequent. What is health, anyways? <laughs> it's subjective. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I really do love it. It's it brings me a lot of peace. Um, it's a challenge often, which is mm. really fun. Um, it has brought me some of my closest friends and mentors. Um, it has, in a fun way, given me a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very cool. Um, yeah, it's just always that doesn't normally happen, by the way. Uh, we can give the listeners hope, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I won't tell my I, I won't tell my story. <laughs> yeah, it happens. But um, yeah, so I think there's so many great aspects of birding, the community, the um, genuine mental health benefits, and just the fun. It's very fun to be out and to see something new or rare. Every single day is different, and every single bird is different. Like it's like the ultimate intermittent reward because you might have be skunked one day and then get something amazing. Mm. So um, you always want to go out. Um, and so I was birding lazily on my free period um, a couple weeks ago, you know. Um, and I just on a whim was like, oh, I'm gonna check by the Red Bridge. And lo and behold, there was the 12th state ash-throated flycatcher there. And I don't think, I'm, I hope to God no one was looking because <laughs> I like jumped in the air and fist pump. I may have let out a few expletives. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like the adrenaline rush. Um, maybe we're crazy for getting an adrenaline rush from seeing a small brown bird, but uh, you know, it is what it is. All. There's some yellow in there. <laughs> <laughs> there's some rufous, some yeah. white, some gray. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that that experience was also very fun for me too. Um, I skipped lunch to go try and find that bird, <laughs> and 
it was not there, and neither were any of the birders who had just seen it. Um, to be fair, I had to go to class or I was going to get a detention. <laughs> so Yeah, so I did not see it. And then I came back that evening and stayed until it got dark and also did not see it. The next morning, I was prompted to go back with high hopes. Um, and as soon as the sun came up, it landed. The sun wasn't even up, man. <laughs> first light. Um <laughs> It landed right in front of us. Yeah, uh, this is so an amazing experience. Very exciting. And I had uh, brought a person interested in birding but had never gone before. So that was his first birding experience. Um, so I think it, it can be thrilling for anybody uh, yeah. interested. And move to our favorite memory, birding. One of my favorite ones recently was uh, I was with Tim, uh, Tim Lenz and... We were sitting on a porch uh, at Hiawassee National Wildlife Refuge, or just Wildlife Refuge, I don't know if it's National Wildlife Refuge, and we were, he was scanning with the scope, I was kind of intermittently scanning with my binoculars, and then there were some people talking to me, uh, and Tim, and then he was like, what's that? Is, that's not a red-shouldered hawk. Oh my god, it's flapping like an owl. It's flapping like an owl. It's a short-eared owl. It's like, <laughs> there was, I kid you not, a short-eared owl soaring in a thermal with a turkey vulture. It's crazy. And then very, it, very rare. It's first county record yeah. for MIGS. So. Yeah, and then it was just like migrating actively, like pretty quick downriver after that. It was pretty sick. Do you have anything yeah. specifically that stands um, out? I Thinking about this question, I did land on one that I, I do come back to pretty often. Galveston, Texas means a lot to me um, in my history of birding. I went there at least once a year since sixth grade. I have family that lives in Houston, and they have a beach house um, on Galveston Island, so I went birding there very often. And one of those times, I went to a spot called the Bolivar Flats Shorebird Sanctuary. It is an extraordinarily large flat out on the coast, and there is a jetty that extends as far as you can see that really kind of blocks in some of the waves and ankle deep, toe deep water as far <laughs> as you can see. Um, whenever I went, there were thousands and thousands of shorebirds and hundreds of other avian life. So very incredible experience we had. It was me and my father there at that point. And we had this incredible view of Godwits and uh, Avocets. Avocets are truly a beautiful bird that we have here in the States. Um, a shorebird, black and white, with, honestly, it looks like a burnt marshmallow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, good their head, when they're breeding fades to a, a rufous, very light brown tone. So with the contrasting black and white, it definitely reminds me of that. But And they have this long, very skinny, upturned bill. One of my favorite shorebirds. They're sure. an amazing bird. Yeah. Yes. So w we had this incredible ar array of birds. Also, roseate spoonbills were just walking 15 feet from us. So Jeez. really incredible. But we had that. In front of us and then to our rear, we had a beach with a very expansive sawgrass environment. 
and I had my lifer Nelson Sparrow right there. Such uh, a good bird. Very, very beautiful sparrow. And a peregrine falcon was flushing stuff up over that grass. So just all of that combined made for an unforgettable experience. And um, I got some of my favorite black-bellied plover photographs. Um, I was out there laying down in the water taking pictures of this guy, and it picks up a butterfly. Oh, beautiful orange butterfly and i snap away luckily and wow that's <laughs> crazy very wow. very lucky and um and we'll leave this picture in the in the description <laughs> we'll li- leave a link to this so y- yeah. y'all can see this it's pretty pretty incredible yeah. um but uh, photography has also meant, meant a lot to me in birding over the years um my very first experience with photography was in Clearwater, Florida, when I saw my lifer and Hinga on a dock post out over a canal, and I used my mom's little Canon point-and-shoot to take some photos of it, and they turned out really cool. I was like, man, I want to do this more. So I ended up buying a camera in seventh grade uh, Nikon P900. Is and that the one you still have? Uh, that is not. I recently upgraded. I went from the Nikon P900 to a Nikon D850, which is a completely different animal in the photography world. And I have absolutely fallen in love with that. So photography is definitely a, a major passion of mine uh, associated with birding. Throw away all your funds, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> it took almost all of my savings. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it also restricted me from having a spotting scope, which I am borderline regretting. But that's that's my next purchase here soon. Yeah, that's, that's probably my most memorable single moment of birding, I, yeah. I would say. I, there's so many. Yeah, you, you that's, see, really that's the can't. thing I have trouble with is there's yeah. so many. One, back when I was, God, 12 or 13, um, I was out in uh, southeast Arizona in the Chiricahuas with Lizzie and John. So um, to picture this scene here, we're just surrounded by these just towering cliffs, uh, just amazing colors, you know, these whites, these beiges, there's like pink hues. It's beautiful in this open sort of pine canyon. Um, And we're out there, we're looking for... A uh, few species, but one of them is elegant trogon. So, for oh, those of you that don't know, it's a beautiful bird. Um, the trogon is—it's more of a is a tropical group of birds. Um, they're in the, both the old world and the new world, um, but they are tropical. Um, and this is the only species that ranges into the U.S. Uh, minus one, which is pretty incredibly rare. Um, but has actually been seen from that exact spot where I saw I was at. But that other one is called the eared quetzal. Um, but the elegant trogon is pretty regular. I did reg- not know Quetzal was in Arizona. Yeah, wow. eared Quetzal. Yeah, learned something new. Um, yeah, so this trogon, they're a, sort of a brilliant shimmering green on top. Um, they have these tiny little feet that do nothing. It seems like um, it's a long, a long tail, and then they, this uh, elegant trogon has a bright yellow bill, and then 
Um, it's got a red belly. Um, just it's kind of like Christmas themed, honestly. <laughs> it's got that yeah, the the red below this sort of bright, intense red below, and that shimmering green on top. It's really a stunning bird. Um, really a, a tropical looking bird. Mm. Um, maybe it's biased knowing that it's from the tropics, but it's a tropical looking <laughs> uh, bird in truly, my mind. Truly. And so we're we're in this canyon, um, and we hear the bird, and we're like, oh, it's a little distant. Um, so we move up the trail towards that bird, you know, and then there's like a flash of red Mm. and in front of us, 15 feet away, no joke, eye level, just fantastic lighting. There was a male elegant trogon, like, I mean, it's just incredible looks like full Mm. frame photos with a 400 millimeter lens. Um, just you know uh, it's like incredibly beautiful bird and sort of the first taste of a tropical bird for me Mm. um and now i'm about to go guide in the tropics so that's that's a pretty cool connection right there um do you think that inspired some of your attraction to international birding um maybe in a little bit um but I think a lot of what inspired that is this book, Birding Without Borders by Noah Stryker. Noah Stryker documents his travels on a big year, so trying to see as many species as possible, but he does a world big year, so throughout the world. He ends up seeing 6,042 species, um, which is kind of insane. There's uh, around 11,000 species of birds. At that point, there was around 10,000 species of birds, uh, splits and stuff that have increased the number of species. And people finding stuff. And people finding stuff. A few things. More more, (laughs) more splits than anything. But yeah, Um, and that just sounded amazing to me. And then, yeah, I've always always loved travel, um, and I've always loved wilderness. I think that's a big, for me, a big draw of birding is just, the connection to nature and the places it can put you. Um, Some birding memories that I look back on fondly um, aren't even necessarily birding. Um, I was out in Arizona in 2022 um, with Lizzie and John. Again, we were doing some uh, field work with Ben Dyer's Thrashers, um, putting essentially little GPS tracking backpacks on them. So, um, but we were in this area, this uh, valley, so we had kind of distant mountains surrounding us, and then it's a desert, but here it's covered in Joshua trees uh, in that oh. desert. It's the only place in the world where Joshua trees and saguaros mix, actually. So you can look one way, and you could see just a like a forest of just beautiful Joshua trees, um, which aren't actually trees, by the way. They're um, modified yuccas, I think that's the name. I'm... <laughs> Someone can completely fact check on that yeah. me on that and be like, "Wow, you're stupid." But um, we're very smart. Yeah. yeah, one of the one of the two. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, and then yeah, they just look kind of outlandish. Um, yeah. And then to the left, you see like a thirty foot saguaro. Unreal yeah, is unreal, and that location, and then the sunsets there were just mesmerizing, like incredible. Um, I just yeah, I remember like we were cooking up dinner and then the sun starts setting and we're just entranced like best sunset I've ever seen. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're only, the reason we're out there is because of the birds. Um, and that's something I've really, I really think about a lot and really 
believe is the birds more than anything a lot of the times take us to amazing places bring us closer together um sometimes it's not even about the birds you know it's more than that i mean in part it is Mm -hmm. but it's more than that you know i would never be out camping remote in arizona in this just amazing place seeing that sunset if it weren't for birds right um you know yeah i think that can be a good segue into our favorite birding trip Um, and i i can go first on that one for sure um similar to what you're saying about how it just it puts you in places you never thought you'd go um i hit on it for a second earlier but the trip to south texas (coughs) specifically south padre island in cameron county texas was unforgettable spent 10 days camping uh, in South Padre Island, birding, you know, 8 to 12 hours a day. <laughs> it's the ideal amount of time of day for birding, <laughs> yeah, by the way, for absolutely. those wondering. Um, very, very exciting. Um, got a lot of life birds. I had 46 lifers, actually, and had 163 species in Cameron County that week. I think 174 in uh, during that trip in Texas. So very very fun. But yeah, on the way down, we we stopped at Port Aransas, um, a very famous birding spot, typically known for their whooping crane population. Um, but we were a little bit late to see those guys. But Oof. Yeah. Do you have a whooper yet? I do, uh, in Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge in Alabama. Very recently, though. So, Um, But, yeah, I got to have a very fun experience there. Just kept moving south and eventually got to South Padre Island where we just had an unbelievable time. Um, The convention center there if you've ever gone is probably the most popular birding site it is right next door to the actual um, birding site the actual birding location you have to pay for and then this is just like literally the lot next to it and it's free and you know (laughs) we're broke so yeah exactly so (laughs) uh, hence why we were camping yeah um camping is a better experience generally anyways in my opinion I mean, the humidity was probably 80% during those nights. So that sounds rough. <laughs> uh, yeah, that made it not quite as enjoyable. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so there we got to see some very, very cool birds. The mangrove warbler, which is a subspecies of the yellow warbler, hopefully will split at some point, so I can say I've seen a new species. Um, got a cool picture of that guy. and The yellow warbler um, is pretty fitting for its name it is yellow and has a little red rufus streaking on the breast and this variation of them only lives in this part of the world and has a very restricted habitat and a different call than the yellow warbler but so it's probably a different species (laughs) is what what he's saying (laughs) right but they do look identical to a yellow warbler, except their entire face 
and a portion of their head is rufous, like bright rufous and more maroon, honestly. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a pretty incredible bird. I've never seen one in person, but those pictures are, uh, yeah, I want to yeah, see one. Yeah, <laughs> very, <laughs> very cool. But they, they have them consistently there at that location. Um, and I saw the prettiest sunset of my life at that, <laughs> that spot. We got a trend here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Pretty sunsets. Pretty sunsets and birding. But, <laughs> um, yeah, just so many aspects of that trip. Uh, I will never be forgetting. Uh, they have wild populations of potentially five species of parrots, but I think we only saw three species of are parrots. Are they all wild? I think some parakeet. of them are introduced. They have been populating there and reproducing there long enough to be considered wild. Oh, okay, okay, so, okay. So, you know, not I, like I guess native. naturalized. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, not sure if they're all or any of them are actually native, but that is... I think there's uh, one species in that area that has the potential to be native, but could mm-hmm. also 100% Yeah, we had red-crowned, um, yellow-crowned, yellow-headed, maybe. Um, I'll have to look back. The Amazon. Yeah. Amazons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then green parakeet. So that was yeah. very, very cool. But, Sweet. Um, yeah, those guys come and roost at a soccer field every single night. So <laughs> and uh, yeah. parrot roosts. <laughs> are bad for the years, man. Uh, yeah, holy cow. That they, was... they make the most horrendous shrieking. <laughs> it's, it's rough, man. It's and rough. hundreds and hundreds of those guys doing that simultaneously. <laughs> really, but so some very fun experiences there. I think our main draw to that area was actually the green jay. Which, Oof. Great bird. Yeah. Great, really, great bird. Really incredible bird and one that I had been awing over for a very long time. Um, saw it in the books when I was in elementary school. And Same here. Yeah, and my sister and I dreamed about potentially seeing one one day. And it just worked out where I had been working enough and she had some free time. And so we went down and, and we got the suckers. And <laughs> a really, really incredible bird. Yeah, this green jay... Um it is, I've seen them in South Texas as well, like a world-class bird. Their bodies are just this sort of lime green overall, but then you move onto their head and they just have this brilliant, striking blue contrasting on a black mask and black throat. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's incredible. And then the tail is just, it sort of fades from that lime green to a, a pretty deep blue at the tip. Um, so so it's kind of a, a lime green with a yellow wash underneath as well. So yeah, there are a whole display of colors there. We got them at I think Laguna Atascosa National Wildlife Refuge. So, but I've seen them at Benson Rio Valley Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park. Um, Where is that at? It is uh, Hildago County. Okay. Yeah, we did not make it that far west. I would have loved to. It opens up a a few more species there. I think. Yeah. Uh, Proloxia eventually comes that far. Yeah. But I've seen not, that in Arizona a few yeah. times. You know? uh, <laughs> they do not make it over to Cameron County too often. So. That reminded me, actually, we're going to, one of my memories, or if, if you're good with this. Uh, Absolutely. Um, also from South Texas, uh, phenomenal place. If you haven't gone there, go. 
I was, so during this time that I went, this was in the winter of 2022, there are just a, a few rarities that were there that were pretty incredible. Um, and, and the top of that list would be Bat Falcon, the first mm. uh, North American record. Um, and people had been seeing this bird for a couple months. And a Bat Falcon is this tiny little falcon. So smaller than a kestrel. Uh, for those of you know know how big a kestrel is. Uh, so that's that's pretty dang small. Yeah. Uh, robin sized or smaller. Um, and stunning bird. Black on top, white below with some mm. beautiful rufous patterning. And so it had been been seen at this spot every morning and every night, but we weren't able to make it out. Um, it was at Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge on the border mm-hmm. with Mexico. And we hadn't been able to make it out in the morning or at evening, but we had heard that potentially it might be at a certain um, little wetland area. Um, so we, we trekked out there. Uh, it's kind of middle of the day. It was pretty hot. We were out there scanning for a couple minutes, and lo and behold, bat falcon just circling these ponds which were by the way were covered in teal and yellow legs and yeah it was just incredible amount of bird life there um and then this bat falcon just starts circling the pond and it actually went for a couple swallows um yeah and then it circled back and it landed on this tree about a quarter mile away and we were scoping it and it was seemed so content and i was like i think i'm gonna go walk over there so I walked over to that tree and I, I was taking it slow, um, making sure the bird wasn't showing any signs of stress or agitation or anything. And uh, in the end, I was probably 15 feet away from this bat falcon. It did not care at all. And I got to just look at it in good lighting for 20, 30 minutes just to myself. Wow. I had it to myself insane views and yeah that's got to be one of the highlights of uh my birding uh, career yeah it was and what's so amazing about that is getting the bird to yourself getting a bird mm-hmm. that rare to yourself um, like a limpkin right? <laughs> uh is uh, i mean that's incredibly rare to happen so yeah. yeah that was man south texas is a magical place yeah i think <laughs> there's really nowhere quite like it uh, maybe southeast arizona would, yeah but y- you can compare the two i've never been. Uh, it's different it's different. different um i would say no place quite like it in the u.s yes um i have not been to the tropics yet but i i think can't even quite comprehend the that that south texas is just a taste <laughs> um i mean half of the reason it's so good is because it's the most tropic spot we have yeah Yeah. i mean yeah so that's that's part of what i think is drawing me to the to this sort of tropical type stuff really yeah i don't have i don't have the time to go a deep dive (laughs) into that but yeah so did you also get aplomado falcon while you were down there it's a sore topic. It's a sore topic. (laughs) We 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 got directions to the wrong place on accident and we looked for like multiple hours and we didn't see it and then lo and behold we got to the airport and i was like oh my god <laughs> we were like a mile Jeez. too far south yeah they uh they're a very rare species that uh, is endangered actually officially endangered and they are protected yeah and, and have a few nesting sites where you can view them yeah, they recently got um, reintroduced 
into um, the state. So they're pretty common and widespread through Latin America. So like they go all the way to the tip of South America um, from South Texas, but really they, they used to be pretty, pretty widespread in America too, in, in a way like uh, all the way to Arizona. Um, So, you know, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and they just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so endangered in the U S yeah, not overall. Yeah. And, so there's been reintroduction efforts and yeah, thankfully there's some nests going mm-hmm. and I guess that you got that bird. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I got it twice actually oh, I, you <laughs> on that trip. So they had the hotspot called the Apple Falcon viewing platform, which, you know, seems we hard tried to, measure, to right? go there. <laughs> we tried, we failed. So it seems, you know, very tr- tricky and inconspicuous, but uh, we, <laughs> listen, man, <laughs> we did see it there, a very distant viewing, not great, but we locked eyes with the bird, but, um, did you ever end up getting good looks? Uh, yes. So Sweet. we went to a brand new spot at the time uh, called the ecotourism area, I think something along those lines. <laughs> That's creative. Um, <laughs> it's just a a rest stop basically on an interstate there uh towards south texas along the coast and a apple falcon flew in and landed on a fence post very close to us uh, i got some some shots that i was happy with and i was much much more satisfied with that viewing but i do not have a bat falcon <laughs> at all so yeah i'd take the bat falcon <laughs> any day uh Sorry, Patrick. Uh, (laughs) But I guess on that note, um, this was our initial episode. Yeah, first episode. Very very excited to see where this goes. We clearly have a long list of guests that we want to have on. We got a whole list of topics. Um, Yeah, we'll see see where this goes. Um, Thank you for listening. This is Back to Birding. Yeah, thank you.